to the question of life after death, not whether such a thing exists, but what manner of life. And we welcome you back to another episode of Drive Back the Night, an Andromeda series podcast. I'm Ryan Mazzocco. And I'm Ethan Maestri. And here we are. And I'm the ghost of home. That was a little unsettling. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. I think uh, we have a visitor in the booth with I us think today. So. Don't need to do this next episode. Uh, why is that, Hone? Because it's awful. <laughs> okay, Hone, don't get ahead of us. We're going to have to ask you to leave. Oh, you guys are going to regret that. No, no, we know what we're doing. We're podcasters. Um, Two of you may come in, but one may not leave. Wow, that, that was a bit ominous sounding. Yeah, it was. I, I don't think that's warranted, Hone. Why don't you... Yeah, why don't you just leave? We'll we'll take this from here. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Don't say I didn't warn okay, you. Okay, all right. Go on, go on. Hmm. Well, that was a bit... It was good to see Hone again, though. Yeah, it was. Mm-hmm. You know what? You're absolutely right. Yeah. He's probably still bitter from dying, so just kind of take what he says with a grain of salt. Anyway, uh, on to the show. Episode 52, For Whom the Bell Tolls. This is... Uh, Episode 8 of Season 3. Yes, it is. So we're about halfway to the halfway mark. (laughs) Yep. Way to mark time there. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I just now uh, came up with that. So anyway, um, yeah, For Whom the Bell Tolls. Um, Let's just go ahead and get straight into it then, uh, because Hone kind of used up a lot of our time there that we were going to use for the opening. That he did. Let's just go ahead and move on into it. Uh, let's go just straight on to the trivia. What do you say? Yeah, I've got okay. a little trivia here for us. Uh, this episode, For Whom the Bell Tolls, was written by Naomi Jansen. Now, this is interesting. This is her first credited uh, writing gig that she's had. For this is her first crack at it. This is her first crack at really? it. Really? Who would have thunk? Huh. Um, but she'll be back. Don't worry about it. Uh, this is the only time that she has a writing credit in season three, but she will be back for season four for four episodes, and she also writes three episodes in the final season, season five. Our director for this episode is Philip David Siegel. Now, this is his only stint in the director's chair in any of the Andromeda series. So this is his one and only directing credit. Hmm. I just wanted to bring that up for the jury to okay. consider. All right. <laughs> now, he has gone on to do other uh, directing jobs, but only a handful. Uh, he only has like five director credits in his career. He's mainly a television producer, and his name is attached to many projects, uh, mainly in television, including The Colony, Ice Road Truckers, Deadliest Catch, and even Jay Leno's Garage, which I happen to enjoy. Mm-hmm. You would. Yes, I would, as a car guy. Mm-hmm. 
guests for this episode. Of course, we have the return of Emmy Anik and Johnny Ma, uh, who appear as Thompson and Stam, respectively. They These were the gunnery officers that were present at the time of the fall when the Nietzscheans attack. Um, and then... It it isn't it doesn't appear to be archive footage. It appears that they actually brought these two back in to play the role with our other guest actor William Cat as Eddie Aldrich. Hmm. And so, uh, really, we've talked about these two before. However, there's been a change for Emmy and Eek that I wanted to add to his uh, credit his credit list and just bring attention to here. Okay, he actually appeared uh, credited as Blue Shirt quotes air quotes okay. blue shirt in the imdb cast list for star trek beyond oh. so we have a direct star trek correlation between our andromeda and our, our star trek franchise okay. so i thought that was something to interesting to to bring up here now william cat of course he plays eddie aldrich as i just mentioned and he is a um, very recognizable actor from the 70s and 80s he has been acting since 1970, in which he primarily did uh, made-for-TV movies or even appeared in television shows. Uh, he d- has featured in movies like 1976's Carrie, you know, the horror film, Carrie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he was in that. Uh, 1985's Baby, Secret of the Lost Legend. I bring that one up because I don't know if anyone else is familiar with that movie or not, but I absolutely loved Baby. <laughs> Because it was about a baby dinosaur, and he was the uh, he 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 played a scientist along with his girlfriend, who was also a scientist that uh, retrieve or save baby out of the African jungle, and you know. Anyway, this is a great movie, mm-hmm. uh, one from my childhood. So I thought I'd bring attention to that as well. He, as I mentioned before, was a TV staple and appears in everything from Mash to Perry Mason, and in 1981. He began a five-year run as Ralph Hinckley in the television series The Greatest American Hero. So I don't know if you're familiar with that one or not. I'm only very vaguely familiar with that TV show. I remember as a kid, I wanted to watch it and I wanted to to get into it, but my parents hated it, so Mm. I didn't get to watch it. 1981. I would have watched that, but I wasn't born. Yeah. It ran until 1985. Oh, okay. So... Yeah, so maybe you wouldn't. I, have. I could have. Yeah, I could have seen it then. <laughs> um, voice acting, you ask? Well, of course he did that. Uh, Animaniacs, Batman, the animated series. There's your big two right there. Um, so I wanted to bring attention to that. He's been in those shows. He is still acting, and his most recent appearances are can be found in Supergirl. Hmm. And he's also done various other movies and television shows right up through 2018. So, William Catt, as Eddie Aldrich, is our guest actor here. All right. Well, we look forward to discussing... Oh, what? And I'm not done yet. You're not? I'm not done yet. I know you're, you're moving things along. Well. But I had one, one other point. I just wanted to point out that this uh, show originally aired on November 18th, 2002. And I really feel like they missed the boat on when this one should have aired. I feel like this should have come in around October sometime, mm-hmm. don't you think? Maybe late October. <laughs> Maybe late October. Okay. And, and yet, no, this one shows up November 18th, 2002. That was the original air date. So hmm. this was not a Christmas. All right. Not a, yeah. No, it, wouldn't, it was not a Christmas episode. <laughs> uh, really? <laughs> it had a Christmassy feel. Neither was it a Halloween. 
<laughs> Neither was it a Halloween episode either, oh, which okay. uh, you would have thought that would would maybe they were trying to go over there. They just couldn't get the production ready in mm-hmm. time. Who knows? Yeah, should have been going into the Thanksgiving season, really. Yeah, if if you're in America, <laughs> right, yeah. right. So anyway, that's what I've got okay. for trivia. All right. So what's the next part? Summary. I know the answer to that. I was just. You caught me in the middle of taking a sip. I know. Well, how's it feel? Because you got me earlier. Yeah. So anyway. All right. Um, I tell you what, I'm going to take several sips while you read the summary. You want to you do that? You do that. All right. And I'll do this. Okay. I'm going to push the microphone away so we don't get ice clinking and we don't get emails. There you go. Actually, it would be nice to get emails, so maybe I should. No, don't bother. Okay. For whom the bell tolls. Andromeda and crew are evacuating refugees from Virgil 9. It's an awful planet that, at present, is being bombarded by a solar storm. Becca and Harper are the boots on the ground for the mission. And with the last transport safely away, they will have to hunker down and wait for Dylan to bring the Maru in to pick them up. While waiting, Harper picks up an unwanted pest in the sole of his shoe. Once aboard the Maru, the unseen maggot makes its way into the ship's systems, eating electronics and bulkheads alike. With its systems compromised, the Maru is assisted into the Andromeda's hangar, and a quarantine field is placed around the ship. Dylan, Becca, and Harper head off to decontamination, which seems to ignore clothing because the maggot found its way back into Harper's shoe and finds its way into the Andromeda's systems. With maggots breeding everywhere on the ship, and the crew trying to find a way to lure and trap the slug-like metal vores, it seems like this would be a bad time to introduce another plot element. But nonetheless, we get one. As Harper searches the ship for trap-building material, he encounters a strange hole in a bulkhead that was no doubt created by the metal-eating parasites. As he examines the void, a man's head appears nearby and says, Boo! frightening Harper away. Skeptical, the crew continues to try and deal with the infestation, but soon the ghost of horror films past appears to Trance, Becca, and Tear. Oddly, though, Rami cannot see the manifestation, even when others next to her are looking right at him. After a little sleuthing, Dylan and Becca are directed to check out an area of the ship known as Top Secret Research Area, an area that, strangely, still does not seem to appear in Rami's schematics of the ship. Inside, they find all kinds of odd gadgetry and the source of their ghost. A dead crewman, Eddie Aldrich. Dylan theorizes that he must have survived through the event horizon at Hephaestos, just as Dylan had. But, since he was trapped and couldn't call out for help, he died, alone, and angry at Dylan. Eddie was a brilliant scientist, but a bit awkward socially. He was a loner, but considered Dylan a friend. That was, until he felt his captain had betrayed the crew and their mission to protect the Commonwealth. Before dying, he created a program and an accompanying android that would fulfill a mission to bring Dylan in for justice. One that was never released, that is, until the metal vores made their way into the systems in that section. Back in the command center, Eddie's android appears before Dylan. The two struggle, but Eddie is able to beat Dylan and take over Rami's systems, initiating the self-destruct sequence. Dylan orders Becca and the rest of the crew onto the Maru in order to escape. Dylan begs Eddie for help, And, after convincing Eddie that they would have been friends, Eddie lifts Dylan off the deck and unleashes a massive electric charge that kills all the maggots on board the ship, and also kills Eddie's android body. Dylan gives Eddie a proper high-guard burial in space, 
and, after more maggots are discovered on board, vows to never return to Virgil 9 again. The end. Ethan, thank you for that recap. You're welcome. Good job. You can't see it out there, but I'm giving him a thumbs up. Uh, okay, Ethan, let's go ahead and get into our, our discussion here and make some observations. Um, I'm just going to make one real quick observation right off the bat. Okay. Um, I don't know how else to say this. The slugs just looked awful. <laughs> there. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, are we into production value for the no. episode yet? No. Oh, oh, oh. No, no. That's just it's an observation. Just, they're that bad. Yeah, okay. yeah. I, just, I feel like I needed to lead with that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, anyway. Yep. Yeah. If you have no other comments, then I'll, I'll turn it over to you. Okay. Your turn. Uh, I, you know, just something funny that I thought would, I, I found some humor in. Uh, but as I got to thinking about it, maybe I'm being a little harsh with it. It just struck me as odd that Dylan would, as he's piloting the Maru, mm-hmm. would claim he's coming in because he found a hole in the solar flare storm. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, I'm not a pilot. Right. I, I don't fly in space. Mm-hmm. Other than, you know, a little bit of Elite Dangerous, which we talk about on, on another show, mm-hmm. another time. Right. But what little bit I understand from space, is when you've got mass ejecta coming off of a solar flare or whatever, you know. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, CME or whatever, the coronal mass ejection. I'm not thinking there's a whole lot of holes mm-hmm. <laughs> that you can fly into and rescue people and get back out. Because, one, um, it's just a huge mass. Mm-hmm. Two... It moves relatively quickly. Mm-hmm. So by the time you find the hole, get down to the planet's surface, bring the people in, and get back out, I think your window's probably open and shut mm-hmm. several times over. Probably. Um, I was actually a little confused on exactly what kind of a storm it was, because it didn't look like a coronal mass ejection to me. It looked more like like those those trailing fireworks that kind of spin around in, like, in a perfect formation around the Maru. Yeah. I was kind of impressed. Yeah, it looked that. a lot like that nebula, that firestorm nebula from last week. Did it? Or from the last episode. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. That's what it looked like to me. It looked like somebody needed to be over Dylan's shoulder saying, Juke right! Juke right! <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Hey, I think we discovered a new problem with the Andromeda. Really? Yeah. What, what do we got? Uh, there seems to be a design flaw in the automatic doors. Mm-hmm. It seems to me that if you have automatic doors that just sense your presence when you walk up and they open and then close after you walk through, there should be something in place for you to be able to just keep the door open. <laughs> right? Like like yeah. an elevator has. You just right. push the button and it holds the door. Right. Right? Right. Instead of having to stick a beam in there to yeah. hold it open you know it's funny that you bring that up because i remember watching that scene and i almost wrote it down but i didn't uh-huh. but I, I liked how with the lighting and everything it struck me that this is is this somehow an homage to the trash compactor scene in star wars <laughs> <laughs> because i was kind of i was kind of feeling that hmm. but it did seem very odd that you know you couldn't just say rami keep it open Mm -hmm. or override or hit a button. Yeah. (laughs) You're right. It it just, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to have to prop the door open that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, So Harper has picked up a reputation, apparently. Has he? Yeah. For picking up uh, potential pets. 
Yeah. <laughs> because they come down on him for bringing the maggots on board. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, for, I, I forget the exact wording now, what they said it was, but even Harper was like, well, it looked, I thought it would be a nice pet, you know? Right. So apparently he's been picking things up mm-hmm. in their, uh, their interstellar stops. Right. Well, he said it looked like a cute bunny. Yeah. So yeah. I was wondering, you know, if it was like the Monty Python bunny and it started <laughs> ripping off oh my crewman's head. You know? Well, well, we should not do that again. That yeah. rabbit's dynamite. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's an episode I want to see. <laughs> uh, Andromeda, the killer rabbit. Yeah. Uh, you know something else that I think the Andromeda needs? A mudroom. <laughs> Wouldn't that be good? Of, or a functional contamination, decontamination room. Yeah, maybe. I mean, if you're going to split hairs. But I mean, <laughs> yeah. even just a mudroom, right? Just, I mean, to, you know, because you're, yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're right. Because what did you do in the mudroom? When you came in from the field, you stripped down. Yep. You checked for ticks. Yep. <laughs> you take off your parasite-infested boots. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Check the soles of those things. Right. Just don't give it a glance and move on. Right. Who knows what you'll be tracking in. Exactly. And the point of it is that whatever you picked up while you were out working, you don't bring it into the house. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, yeah. I, I can only say that they've gotten so comfortable with what they're doing. And now they're doing, you know, this refugee work, helping these people escape. They just got, they got a little lax. They yeah. didn't review protocols very well before, you know, coming back to the ship. Yeah. And that's unfortunate. It is. I I haven't said it in quite a while. I just want to reiterate, reiterate something that we have talked to talked about or spoken of in times past, particularly in the first season, early in the first season. I just want to say it again. God, the Maru is such an ugly ship. Yeah. And for whatever reason, uh-huh. I uh, yes, go ahead. <laughs> I don't know if it was the CG work, if they got a new shot commissioned and, and they've, they've rolled it out in this episode, but did it not seem to you that the Maru has somehow gotten uglier? I almost didn't recognize it. Yeah. I had to think twice. I was like, is that the Maru? Yeah. It looks awful. It was just... It looks really bad. It looked really... Yeah, exactly. And I don't know if that if they tried to touch it up so that it looked like it had the goo on the outside, but it didn't strike me as it, it had the goo from the maggots all over it. So I don't think it's that. I think it's it's just a it's just an ugly ship, right? Yeah. And you know what? I mean, that's the point of it, right? It's supposed to be an ugly ship. It's the redheaded stepchild of the yeah. series. Yeah, absolutely. Apologies to any redheaded stepchildren out there. Don't mean any offense. It's a ju- it's a saying. Yeah, I'm yeah. just it's a saying. We didn't make it up, but you used it. Speaking of taking cheap shots. Um, I kind of felt like Harper was taking a cheap shot at, uh, Tyr. How's that? Well, when they were first on their way back to the Andromeda and they discover the maggots and, and they say, don't worry, it doesn't eat humans. And Harper says, too bad it doesn't eat Nietzscheans. <laughs> um, yes. yes. I thought, you know, not very nice considering Tyr's not even there to I defend th- himself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I thought they had warmed just a little bit toward yeah, each other. It I seemed like so. they had. It seemed yeah. like it. They've yeah. been through life and almost death together. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, you know, I, I think shot. Dylan really, he kind of had even the same thought that I had. Because when he says that, they cut a shot to Dylan's face and he just kind of gives this expression like, geez, that was uncalled for. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, yeah. it was. <laughs> I mean, 
you know, Tier he's really been a team player lately. Yep. What's your deal, Harper? Yeah. Maybe Harper was talking about all the other Nietzscheans that have tormented him for his whole oh, life. Oh, he's he's taking the 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 big picture. Maybe, too. maybe. That's a, hey, that's that's a valid explanation right okay. there. All right. Okay. I'll buy that. All right. Well, still, I mean, tears lumped into that. Yeah. Sorry. So I have an observation here that I feel like I need to discuss with you just a little bit beforehand. All right. This had to have been just the worst episode for you to see. I don't. I don't. I don't think we're there yet. Like we told Hone. No, I, I'm talking about but, the fact that there was a lot of book reading going on. Oh, okay. I see. Yeah, there was the, right. there was the whole subplot that we I didn't even bring up in the summary, but right. there's the whole thing between Becca and Harper about reading the horror novels. Sure, that, yeah. That Becca was engrossed in, and she lends it to Harper, and Harper starts reading it. Mm-hmm. And we have that whole little scene where he's starting to get into it, and then he, he he has work to do. He needs to be building these traps because these parasites are going to destroy the ship. Mm-hmm. But he's going to get a quick ten pages in sure. to read, right? Right. I, I, w- I was just going to... The first thought that I had is, well, that'll be an interesting point to talk with Ryan, about Ryan. Because you can relate, right? Yeah. Right? No. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. But, but see, here's the thing. Okay. You read a lot of books. I read. I do read. Uh-huh. I read some books. I don't read a lot of books. Well, I would say, you know, some would say a lot. Some would say some. Okay. Yeah. I would say a lot. So, compared to how many I read, right? Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. Um, By the way, have you finished the two Andromeda books that I've given you to read? Um, no, I have not. <laughs> but in my defense, I've only had them for like three years, and all I need to do is start them. Okay. But I do keep them in my truck, and they're very nice backer boards when I sign my checks at the bank. That's fantastic They're right to there. Know. So That's fantastic to yeah. know. So when 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 you do get them back, the jacket's just going to have the imprint of my signature all over them. I'm going to have your financial records for the last year and a half, yeah, or no, three I think years. So. Apparently. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're going to ruin me. So um, no, I don't mind that you read books. It doesn't bother me. Right. It, it doesn't bother me that Becca and Harper. The, prob- are the problem books. is, is that when it comes to this scene, mm-hmm. I want I want to say, hey, can you relate? And you're just shaking your head. <laughs> Because you can't. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, literature. (laughs) Uh Right. Right. uh Yeah. So anyway. Right. So I just wanted to bounce that off of you. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. I'm glad that you could bring to our entire audience's attention that I'm illiterate. (laughs) I'm not illiterate. I'm illiterate. Yeah. Is that fair? You just just can't bring yourself to read. You know, I got a lot of stuff to do. I got kids. I... uh, Books. It's just... uh, there's going to be a movie. Uh, so how about Eddie's death scene? He flatlined. He did, he did. You know what? He did flatline. Yeah. And didn't Gabriel flatline too? Did he? Or or no? We we've talked about flatlining and how it was apparent huh. on the ship, audible on the ship. Yeah. Uh, I'm, we're gonna have to go back to the in the archives. Yeah. That's gonna bug me now. Because I haven't thought about it until just now when you brought this up. But you're right. Yes, he does mm-hmm. go flatline, and it, it is you can hear it. Uh-huh. I want to say it's in this season, even. It's just been long enough that I can't recall exactly when it <laughs> happened. <Huh. laughs> so you, listener, uh, let us know which episode, because y'all probably have listened to them more recently than we have. <laughs> and uh, let us know when we have discussed flatlining and being able to hear that on the ship. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that would be helpful. Okay, so um, you remember we talked to Ethley Anvar. Fair. Who was that? <laughs> well, I think I think I covered the you're, bases with both of them. You're trailing there at the end. <laughs> Ethley Anvar. Yeah. Sorry. Um, I, as I as I was about to say it, I second guessed myself. That's what happened there. Yeah. It, it, yeah. it happens. It does. So um, when we spoke with writer Ethley Ann Vare, who worked for the first two seasons on Andromeda, and if you haven't listened to that episode, go back. It's uh, it's back there around eighteen, nineteen, twenty, something, something like that. Um, she discussed with us in our interview with her about how one of the ideas that her and Robert Hewitt Wolf had shared in the development of the series was rock music and their affinity for rock music. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So I feel like this is while not influenced directly by the two of them, perhaps I feel like this is somehow kind of an homage to that line of thinking that they brought into the show originally that they really couldn't flesh out because of copyright law and things like that. Mm hmm. We got rock music in this episode. Yeah. What did you think about that? I thought it was fun. It, did it when it first started? Mm-hmm. Did you not uh, think you were about to watch an '80s montage? Um, to be honest, I was I was getting more of a '90s feel. Was it '90s? I, I don't know. Maybe I'm off on this, but I was I was getting more of a '90s. I mean, we are talking about 2002. Yeah, the night you hadn't quite shaken off the '90s yet. Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. That felt like some mid to late 80s rock music. Okay. To me, anyway. Just right. from my perspective. All right. Um, in either case. What, what, was, what was popular in 2002? Nickelback was really firing on all cylinders. I'm sorry. Yeah. I can't say that with a straight face. Let me restart that. Nickelback was a thing. Uh-huh. Limp Bizkit. Yeah. They were still kind of... They were starting to trail. Yeah. Stained was coming on strong right in right about then. Yeah, you probably got your what Blink One Eighty Two around that. Oh time. yeah, they were they were they mm-hmm. were firing on all cylinders yeah. about then. Um, I'm just saying that the music that we got here was not quite matching. It was them. not no, it was not contemporary to the time. No, no, it was definitely older music, um, which is good in my opinion. Yes, yes, I because I like that. that music better than what was going on at the time. <laughs> in fact, I we always are in agreement, I man. always tell people, it's just interesting you say 2002 because that is the year that I stopped listening to radio current popular music. Oh, yeah, anything anything yeah. recent. Yeah. Okay. So this is a line of demarcation for you. It 2002. Really, yeah. It, this is a watershed year for me. <laughs> okay. Um, this is good to know. Although I will say, what I was thinking when I was watching this scene with the music is, I'm just glad that this genre has survived for the next 3,000 years. They are still playing... They're doing it. 80s, 90s, um, Western music. Guitar-driven. Yes. 4-4 beat Western music. So the, the, the git fiddle is not dead. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is good. Yeah. Yeah, but well, I'm I'm sure you're happy about that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> One last thing um just on observations that I want to hit is uh I thought it was interesting in Eddie's record he had a list of friends. <laughs> yes. Um is this is this official documentation? Uh, apparently, it, it, it seems to be. It's yes. on record. Yes, these are his qualifications. This is his education. This is his background, and this is his list of friends. You know what this is? This is how they got around 
terrorists. How's that? Explain. Well, by by fully vetting or or declaring your network uh-huh. of people that you associate with, okay, all of them can be tracked. Oh, okay, yeah. This is how you do not slip between the cracks and get through immigration or something like that. Uh, okay. Yeah. It or makes perfect sense when you think about it. It it does. Or maybe they just checked his Facebook account. <laughs> yeah. It's a possibility. <laughs> of course I have friends that refuse to be on Facebook too. So, yeah. you know, there are those that are off the radar. Right. Still. Yeah. <laughs> I I'm just saying mm-hmm. when you think about it, it's a perfectly logical and reasonable expo- uh uh course of action to take. Okay. No, not really. Nah. I'm just think it, it is kind of an odd thing to have a declared list of friends. Uh-huh. If if you were to make a declared list of friends, would I be on it? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, like for sure. Like at top five, top three. I mean, you know, I mean, I I've not updated my list of friends in quite some time, but yeah, I I need to do that. You would, definitely. dude. You've got a list. You've got a list right there. I. I know. Less, uh, I'm, it's old. That's what I'm saying. It's old. And you're just... Am I on it? I just said I need to update it. So, I mean, you, you'll be on it. Sure. No problem. I'm not on your list. No, you, yeah, you'll be on it. You'll be How on old list. is that list? Man, it's like... It's several years old. Like, before we were doing this show. I better get on that list. Yeah. And I better be at least top three. Sure. I mean, yeah. there's like wife. That's got to be number one. Sure. Yeah. Uh, a parent, I could see you being two, perhaps, somewhere. <laughs> a parent or, or a close relative, and then I got to be at least three. Sure. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, I was I just got updated. Is right. all. Yeah. Um, yeah. You do that. So you get on that. Okay. <laughs> just to let our listeners in on a little secret, that was our runner-up opening bit. <laughs> So uh, we just kind of ad lib fell into it, and so. I went with it. Yeah, yeah. So not as polished as it could have been had we actually done it for real, dude. But, editing, Come uh, on. I know, <laughs> I know. But you're not going to edit. <laughs> you watch. I'll edit. Oh, okay. Edit. All right. All right. <laughs> and if you're listening to this, I totally didn't edit. Nope, didn't edit. <laughs> <clears throat> so let's go ahead and get into a little bit more of the meat. Let's do it. The discussion of this episode. Um, you don't mind? I like Thank to start you. off with Go something because we we touched on it just a little bit. We're talking about the storm. Um, I've got a couple of questions for you, just because I want to verify and maybe clarify. Okay, for just for my own personal interests. Okay, play it on me. Uh, the storm on Virgil Nine. Why exactly are they evacuating? Right, because Becca and Harper seem to be surviving just fine in the cave. Yeah, they don't. They're not in any yeah. danger at all, right? Right. They they're quite comfortable. Well, yes. other than his twisted ankle. Yes. Yeah. Now, it, it is an awful planet. Uh, I think Becca alludes to that. She's been there before, mm-hmm. and it's just it's not a pleasant place. Okay. Um, perhaps this solar storm is, or a series of solar storms. Let's just say maybe it's a series of them. Maybe that has made the place even less habitable or less pleasant to inhabit. Okay. And maybe these people are just like, hey, Dylan, <laughs> help us out here. And we'd really like to we'd really like to go somewhere else. Right. Or hey, Commonwealth, because this seems to be a mission handed down from Yes, it does. The Commonwealth. Yes, it does. And, and so, yeah, 
under that under the flag of the Commonwealth, maybe this is a goodwill mission to just you know help these folks out. So are they a members of the Commonwealth? You got me. I don't. <laughs> I don't think so because it seems no. like they've kept pretty much to themselves. Mm-hmm. Except when they're in trouble, then they ask for help, and then they're gone. No, not so much as a thank you or or anything, right? I mean, that's <laughs> that's a discussion in the show. Thanks for all the fish. <laughs> <laughs> And, and then they're gone. Yeah, right. Exactly. Okay, yeah. disappear again, off into obscurity on whatever planet they dropped them off on. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. I just thought that was weird. I'm like, can't they just take cover? Yeah, yeah. Because if if anything, we, what we've learned from other sci-fi series is that there are those hard scrabble people that will make life work in any situation, mm-hmm. and it's all through sci-fi. Sci-fi. Uh, a planet with carbon dioxide atmosphere. They erect a tent and they live in the the conditions that they have until they can terraform it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, these people are just like, <laughs> uh, this is corroding my nails. <laughs> Let's move somewhere else. Yeah, <laughs> you big babies. <laughs> well, plus you have to live with the metal fours. And yeah. what, what was it? Rami said. She said something about there are sixty eight different kinds of metal vores in this sector alone Mm -hmm. maybe there's a concentration of them at this planet so the moment you build something it's it's eaten away within days well i mean that's it's like the worst termite infestation in the history of humanity well then they should build everything out of wood (laughs) yeah exactly Mm because they don't want that right but it didn't appear to be any wood on the planet oh okay so it would be very high to uh import that stuff in all right yeah, the Commonwealth did a cost analysis and said, let's just move these people off. Okay. You think they did that? Who knows? You know what? <laughs> Honestly, they may have, thinking of what this Commonwealth is. Yeah. I mean, because how much expense is involved in, evac- in evacuating an entire planet? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, you're right. You're with, right. With one ship. So maybe not a lot. So let's... let's uh, Let's frame this and, and, and draw this all together. Okay. So the, the Commonwealth did a cost analysis and said, is it worth it to hear these people complaining or get them off the planet? Mm-hmm. Well, it would take too much to import the wood for them to build structures that aren't going to be eaten by the metal vores. So let's just evacuate them off the planet. Mm-hmm. Hey, I got a guy that can do that. Let's send Dylan in. Yeah. This is a, this is a crap job nobody <laughs> wants to do. Let's send, let's send Dylan to take care of it. Uh-huh. He'll do it with a smile on his face. And make sure it's in the middle of a solar storm. Exactly. (laughs) Let's rub a little extra salt in that wound. Uh Um, You you mentioned Metal Vores. Yeah. I wonder, is that that a real name? That's what I went with. That's what they're called in this this show. You didn't make that up. Right, right. That's what I went with. So, I mean, is that... Is that really the name of these things? Is I mean, I guess we don't really... Do we have anything on Earth? They kept coming back to maggots, but, you know, you, you alluded to it early on. These things looked awful. Yeah. It didn't really look like maggots to me. Yeah. Other than they had the nasty slime on them. Mm-hmm. Um, they did resemble more parasites mm-hmm. of a sort. Um, legless salamanders, maybe? Let's go. Can we go with that? Yeah, but they didn't really have the head. No, they didn't have a head either. Yeah. Uh, they just kind of shook and quivered. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess metal vores is really the only thing. It's just a blanket term. Yeah, it's like it's like when you call an orangutan a monkey. 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Um, I guess I just think, is there something that would be a more correct term? Because, like, we don't say meativores or plantivores. True. I don't know. True. But, yeah. you know, what animal do we know of that eats metal? Well, none that right. I know of. Well, goats. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. That is true. Yeah. Um, but we call them omnivores. Omnivorous. Um, but that doesn't seem to be an, an appropriate enough description for what these parasites do. No, and I don't think omnivore includes metal. Right. Yeah. But did we learn something about them when Harper picks up the little box in the Maru and says, looks like you had a hard time with these copper contacts? Are they... Do they somehow not digest copper? Um, maybe that was our first clue that they don't respond well to electrical current. Ooh, that's a excellent. I did not make that connection. connection. That's an action. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, yeah, yeah see what yeah. we did there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so you had mentioned uh, several episodes back when I drew attention to the fact that there was a somebody on board. Okay, that was not part of our cast uh-huh. that was just a crew member mm-hmm. on board. Boom. There's, yep. there's a crew member there. Yeah. And then they, there were two more that appeared later. Mm-hmm. Right. And I was flabbergasted by that. Right. I, I was, I was, I was shocked. Mm-hmm. Well, here we have our confirmation. Yeah. We have crew on board the Andromeda. Yeah. So mm-hmm. uh, Dylan or no, Becca, <laughs> when they're talking about the ghost air quotes, right. That, that's been appearing. To uh, Harper and then later to Trance. Uh, as they're speculating about this ghost, Becca makes the assumption, well, maybe it was one of the new crew members. Yeah. Boom. There's our there's our confirmation that Andromeda is, in fact, staffed by more than just six people. Yeah. Here's the next question. All right. When they're evacuating. Uh-huh. <laughs> how come only one crew member... Besides the regular cast that mm-hmm. we have of Tyr and Becca and Trance and Harper, how come only one or two other crew members make it on board the Maru before the electrocution starts? I had a whole thing. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. About this. No, that's okay. <laughs> All right. Let's go. Yeah, let's do it. Um, because I actually didn't even notice that those that one or two crew member was on the Maru. Okay. Which made it even worse in my mind. Okay. Because I'm thinking, great, we have a full crew. <laughs> now they're all dead. <laughs> exactly. Uh, laying there quivering and shaking along with the dying parasites yeah. next to them. Nobody got off the Maru. Um, and now that you say that, I'm going to have to go back and watch that again when they get on the Maru. Because I, I totally missed that. I didn't see anybody. Yeah, there was a couple of unfamiliar faces that okay. came on board with with them. Okay. Yeah. But still, I mean, if you're yeah. talking one or two crew members, and Out they're of, like, well, maybe it was one of the new crew members. Yeah. I mean, if you're talking hundreds of new crew members, you can understand how maybe Harper would not be familiar. Right. Right. Even... even even dozens, mm-hmm. honestly, because this is a relatively recent change. Yeah. You're not going to know the names of everyone. Mm-hmm. You you might not even recognize all the faces if we're talking a couple of dozen. Right. Still, it seems like a moment where Becca would turn around and say, "Did we get <laughs> Did we get everyone on board? <laughs> How many do we have? Head count? I know I'm supposed to have 24. Yeah. Do we have at least 23? Yeah. No. No. 
no. And and even though I missed it, I'm still not buying it. I okay. still think that they've got a dead crew. <laughs> they're they're laying on the floor of the Andromeda. Right. They're just, they're starting over. Yeah. 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 They really are. Build I mean, this thing up again. And I mean, what does that say about? First of all, what's that say about Dylan? Because I mean, he doesn't really even call for an evacuation. You're right. <laughs> he he kind of halfway makes an attempt. Yeah. But it doesn't really go through. And I think right there, that's when you you get the other big five of the crew and say, get the word out. Yeah. Right. Go. Go from room to room and get everybody out of here because stuff's going down. Yeah. You, you don't hear anything about escape pods launching or anything like that. It's just, all right, the important people of the cast get on the Maru, <laughs> you know? And then, yeah. and then Eddie, he saves Dylan. Yeah. Um, as far as I'm concerned, everybody else is dead. Yeah. Which also leads me to another big concern. Okay. It appears that for such an advanced piece of technology as the Andromeda is, it is very poorly grounded. <laughs> yes. It's just conductive metal surfaces absolutely everywhere. And this is why the original Commonwealth fell. Because codes were just being ignored. Basically, that's what it comes down yeah, to. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yep. No it's inspectors. And, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And that is on what on that is the 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 catalyst on which the fall of civilization happened. Mm-hmm. When there are no more inspectors and codes are being ignored, <laughs> bad things happen. That's right. <laughs> no, uh, just a little more. We don't need to dwell on it too much because this is kind of a. It does very much feel like a plot point. Or not a plot point, but a development in the show that his, at this point is just very underdeveloped. But from what we've seen of it so far, does it not seem like the kind of situation where, I, I don't know, it, it, you're invited onto other people's properties in order to do work, right? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you've re- ever encountered this situation. I have in my line of work as a technician where I'm asked to go on site and do work for people. Where you're, you get a call, it's on your phone, uh, you may or may not have a contact person, but you go on site and people may not be around. And, and so you just go in and you do your work and then, and then you, you leave a note or you get in contact with the, the office and then they contact the people that need to know that the work is done, right? But in that moment, you may be in that situation where people walk in and walk out and they're like, oh, you're... Are you supposed to be here? <laughs> and it, it at times it seems like this is the kind of the situation on the Andromeda. It's like there's these people they've been asked to go in there, but for our crew, it's like, are, are these people supposed to be here? <laughs> I thought it was just the six of us. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And it very much feels like there's this huge disconnect. Like like somehow paperwork has been lost. Yeah, <laughs> and so they're not really sure who or how many people are actually supposed to be on the Andromeda and what exactly are they supposed to be doing while they're there? Mm-hmm. Or if they do, they definitely don't tell us about it. Yeah. And you know, while we're on the subject of what we learned about Dylan, um, there was another thing that I noticed it, as far as his, um, his outlook or his 
or his uh, his respect or lack thereof of life. And yeah. that's something that we don't normally discuss when we're talking about Dylan. Because right, because he's, he's usually the one that's holding the line. Yeah, he's, where it comes to what's, he's the idealistic right. uh, captain. Yes. Always wanting to do what's right. Yes. Um, in this episode, he, with, with, the, with the maggots, the slugs, he has a very um, exterminate first, investigate second <laughs> attitude. Yeah. yeah. And I just kind of... Have we broken Star Trek yet? I mean, I, I mentioned Star you, Trek you mentioned Beyond. It, you in mentioned trivia. it in the trivia, I'm not but sure we haven't we haven't rolled it into the discussion. Yeah, I mean, isn't that one of the things that we always look at for our Starfleet captains? Is yeah. their ideals as far as life? When we find new life, it, it doesn't matter. You respect that life, yeah, and you do whatever you can to preserve it and not disturb it. Yes. Um, he he's treating this like a like a cockroach infects in, infection. Well, it, in, yeah. in, <laughs> he, like a cockroach. Infestation. Ooh, I would not want a cockroach infection. That would just be awful. <laughs> no. That's, ooh, I might not sleep tonight. They just get in everywhere. It's no oh. good. Yeah. But you're right. Yes. And and if this were a situation of first contact, mm-hmm. where you don't know the the situation of these creatures, um, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, as a star, if we're comparing this with Starfleet, um then yes, you you would take your time and you would try and come up with a non-homicidal way of taking care of these these creatures, right? Yeah. But they already know. There's like 68 versions of these things throughout this sector. Mm-hmm. They've obviously picked up a couple of them from off of this planet. They We know, as the audience, from watching the, the opening sequence, that there are many more left on the planet that were left behind, right? Because mm-hmm. um, they had the little goo pool with all of them, you know, sunbathing in the solar storm or whatever was going on there, and just one of them happens to have gotten into Harper's shoe. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I I don't have a problem with Dylan being like, okay, we've picked these things up off the planet. There's plenty of them back there. That's where they belong. Let's kill all the ones on this ship mm-hmm. because if we don't, they will kill us. So I really don't have a problem with Dylan just going you know, at all cost, take mm-hmm. them out. Okay. So then is that the line then is first contact? If this is a first contact situation, we do all we can to protect and preserve and not disturb this new life form species that we have discovered. But if they've been known throughout the galaxy for hundreds, thousands of years, whatever, if they're a nuisance. Okay. Okay. Okay, yeah, there's there's precedence within Star Trek. Okay. When Deep Space Nine is infested with voles, they try and get them off of the, the station. Mm-hmm. I, I, would, I would be surprised if they did not use lethal means mm-hmm. in order to eliminate some, if not all of them. Okay. All right. Just saying. And, you know, frankly, Captain Kirk was not crazy about the Tribbles. Yeah. <laughs> Case in point. Mm-hmm. There you go. Okay. Now, having... It, s- hold on. Yeah? Is this Andromeda's Tribble episode? In... Do, I, dare we go that far? I almost said that. Oh, wow. But... Okay. But, no. Right, because there's nothing cute and cuddly no, about these no. things. No, See, the, the Tribbles, they were redeemable in the sense that they were cute and they made people happy. Yeah. These things are just nothing but destructive 
and gross. Yes, very much so. Mm-hmm. And and not very well done. Right. Now, having said all of that, I don't actually have a problem with Dylan wanting to exterminate them. You were just bringing up something to I, to discuss. I thought maybe it might be a something. Comparison. Yeah. 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 I. I hmm. Yeah, maybe maybe I'm forgetting a lot of what Star Trek has taught me in my sci-fi, but I I don't have a problem with Dylan being ready to just exterminate. Mm-hmm. Well, it, seriously, I take more of a Doctor Who Doctor Who uh, approach to that. Yeah, exterminate, exterminate. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is like termites. Yes, very, it, yeah. it's termites for a starship. Yes. Okay. All right. So I'm okay with it. Okay. Uh, you're, have... you're comfortable? Yeah. Can we move on? Yeah. All right. Another question about Dylan's judgment in this episode. Okay. All right. You know that you are on a ship in the Maru that is infected, and it is a destructive creature, right? Mm-hmm. And yet you make the choice to bring it onto the Andromeda. He, he didn't make the choice of bringing on Andromeda. They were dying. They they had to bring the Maru into the Andromeda. Now there were these things on board, and so let's put a containment field around it. Yeah, die in space, or try and put yourself in a situation where you can get out and contain the problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I'm not seeing anything irresponsible about that. There's no way that they could have decontaminated the Maru before bringing it into the Andromeda. I mean, it was it was being controlled by the drones. Have you seen the Maru? Yeah, I know. <laughs> it probably would have rusted through if they left it out in space long enough. Exactly. Yeah, okay. Even if they stopped eating, the thing would have fallen apart and would have killed them in space. Yeah. Okay. No, I, I did... It did give me pause... Because Rami says a containment field will only do so much. It'll only last so long. Mm-hmm. I'm like, how? Yeah. <laughs> that was unusual. Mm-hmm. But you know what? If the Why not get off of the ship and then just say, hey, look, the Maru's infested. It's lost cause. Mm-hmm. Becca, we'll get you another ship. Mm-hmm. We can... We can do. We can make something better yeah. for you, or just bomb it, or just, <laughs> or just bomb it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, like Harper suggested. Right. But you know, at the very least, if the th- if the containment field was going to fail, just eject it back out into space. Mm-hmm. Let them do their thing. It'll run its course. Pick up the carcass later and rebuild it. Right. I, I, I'm not. I'm, I wasn't seeing where this was such a problem. Where I was seeing a problem was the fact that the maggot or a mag- maggot found its way back into the same spot in Harper's shoe, got through decontamination, and then found its way back onto the ship, onto Andromeda. Yeah. That I, was kind of a problem for me. I figured maybe that original one had laid eggs. Okay. In the boot. It laid eggs in the boot. Well, if that's the case, then they have an, an incredible gesta- incredibly short gestation period. Oh, of course they do. I mean, they were all over the ship. That's true. From one. That's true. Yeah. You're right. They're You're right. They're slimy, grotesque, disgusting. Okay, so so tribbles. maybe maybe then that point of production is not so egregious. Okay. All right. But still getting through decontamination. All because right. Dylan makes a specific point of saying 
let's go to decontamination. Yeah. Which they really didn't do. Apparently not. I mean, they did eventually, but they lollygagged long enough. <laughs> That's why I'm saying they needed yeah. a mudroom. Yeah. <laughs> Decontaminate right there. Well, they just need to do procedure. Yeah. They just need to follow procedure is what needs to happen. Yeah. yeah. All right. Are you ready to talk about Eddie? I think it's about time to do, to get around to it. Okay. Yeah. All right. You go first. What you got? Oh, uh, well, I just, you know, new character, Eddie Aldrich. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I am still a little bit fuzzy on his timeline. Okay. I know Dylan does the whole uh, theorizing thing about how he has in uh, mummified form appeared on the ship there. That he came through the wormhole, right? And was still alive when they came out on the other side 300 years later. You mean the event horizon? The event horizon. The black hole. What hole did I say? He said a wormhole. <laughs> did I say wormhole? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Sorry. Talking about mixing your Star Trek. <laughs> uh, anyway. So, yeah. Uh, I'm a little fuzzy. He came out on the, the other side of the event horizon. And he was obviously injured. So, I understand if he was still alive. That's one thing. But this whole putting together a program that is going to thwart Dylan and and programming it so that it takes over certain ship systems so it can project a ghost and that has an accompanying android that can physically manifest itself and interact with Dylan, hopefully thwarting him. I, I have a real problem with how quickly did this guy die? And if he had that much time to put those things into place, how did he not have the ability to because apparently he was a tech wizard, come up with some way of reaching through the ship and letting Dylan know that he was there and needed help. Um, I'm having a hard time reconciling Eddie Aldridge mm-hmm. with the timeline that we've been, that we've had up to this point. Did, did you happen to notice? Cause I didn't, did Eddie have a data port? It's a good, good question. And, no, I didn't notice if he had one or not. Okay, I would have to go back and look. Here's what I want to think. I want to think that he's been working on this AI program and this Android for quite some time before okay. any of this happened. I mean, okay. he was down there in this top secret lab working on something that was top secret. Yes. Why he's doing that on the Andromeda instead of in a secure lab on Earth, or not Earth, obviously not Earth, but maybe Tarn Vedra. I don't know that that part kind of bothers me. I'm not sure why he's doing this and why he's able to <laughs> lock out this room, even from Rami's sensors. Yes, she doesn't even know that this room exists anymore. Right, because all right, he he just comes on board. He's a recent addition to the crew. Right, seems like there needs to be some checks and balances there, so that people can't just disappear off the grid. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless he got some sort of clearance. To be able to do this, but then you would think that Dylan would know that, unless, as we learned last time, maybe Dylan was not need to know. Like this was a plant by the Commonwealth on Dylan's ship without Dylan's knowledge. Is that what you're saying? No, but that's interesting. I don't know. It's just, mean, yeah, you're right. It you're just right. seems you like know he's... What? The, the data port is a great point. Yeah. It's a great point. I almost want to stop the recording and go back and look 
to see if that's something that is a possibility or not. Yeah, but we're not going but to. But we're not going to. And honestly, <laughs> he's laying there under a piece of equipment uh-huh. or bulkhead or whatever it is mm-hmm. in a prone position. And I'm just, I'm having a hard time believing that he had the ability or the time to be able to download all of this and put all of this into action and, and record a, uh, a, a plea to mm-hmm. Dylan for help on his handheld device. Yeah. In which he's standing up. Yeah. <laughs> and seems perfectly normal and, and, and is able to say, hey, Dylan, don't leave me here. Right. And then, and then have enough time to sour on that idea, mm-hmm. become angry enough to institute a plan to overthrow Dylan. Right. So, here's my thought on that. Okay. Here's how I think this happened. Bring me back from the brink. He was, like I said, he had already been working on this, creating this AI and this Android and uploading his consciousness into that. Okay. By whatever means. Maybe he didn't have a data port. Maybe he was using Bluetooth or something. Okay. All right. Um, whatever, whatever. We know that that's what he did. We know that he created an AI and uploaded himself into it. Yes. So that AI could have, after his death, developed its own uh, train of thought. Because it had its own consciousness in, consciousness now. In the three years of isolation, that it, or two years of isolation that it's had. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I say that, but even still, I'm wondering, how did it not figure out what's really going on? <laughs> I mean, he has access un- to... Un- unless it is truly in isolation. I mean, yeah. Rami doesn't know this, this section of the ship exists. Yeah. So obviously there's nothing going in, and there's... I guess nothing coming out. Then how did he know about the rebellion? Yeah, good point. He accuses Dylan of being in cahoots with Rade. Yeah. To stage this whole thing and make it look like there's this this big mutiny. <laughs> that's Yeah. That's huge. That's a huge <laughs> hole. So I don't know. I, I come up I can come up with something to answer one part of it. I can close it. You know, it's like that cartoon. Where, yeah. where the guy's in the boat, right? And there's a hole. And so he sticks his finger in it, and the water starts spraying up through another part. And yes. so you stick your finger in there, and yes. it starts spraying up somewhere. It's just, the hole's just kind of, you, you, you can plug them, but the water's going to come in somewhere. Yeah. I don't know. It's full of holes. No, you're absolutely right. And that's that's why, yeah, you, you bring up these points, the, the data port. Uh, you can bring these things up, and it sounds great at the time. But then when you start really thinking about it, no, there are other things that don't match up with that. Mm-hmm. And so it makes it very difficult. Wait a second. We're still not to that part yet, are we? It's, t- it's a tough plot to wrap your head around. I'll, yeah. just, I'll leave it right there. Um, Eddie Aldrich, if for, for... All right, I'll, I'll put it this way. I like the concept of where they were going with introducing Eddie Aldrich's character and how he got to the other side basically. Mm-hmm. I like the idea of it. I'm thinking they needed to probably sit on this one for a little bit longer so that they could execute it with a, a tighter loop. Nope. No time. <laughs> okay. <Yep. laughs> we, we missed, we already missed Halloween. <laughs> we got to get this within the next couple of weeks. Is that what you're saying? I think so. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Um, you bring up an interesting point about the timeline though, because when did he die? Exactly. Yeah, we don't know exactly when. 
Dylan kind of theorizes, but even he doesn't know. Right, right. So we see him, as you brought up, in the hologram, standing upright, pleading for help, Mm -hmm. and he's going to send that message to Dylan. Um, I'm not exactly sure by what sort of technology he's planning on sending that. I got it. Okay. I it, Dude, you're talking, and, and my mind have just made a connection. Okay. I have the answer. All right. Okay. So, yes, he survived through the black hole. He survived the event horizon. He came through on the other side. He was fine. He was isolated, and for whatever reason, he couldn't get a message out, so he records the where he's standing up and pleading, Dylan, help me out and everything. And then, like, days later, when they're attacked in uh, D-0, minus yeah. that's when the equipment falls on him. And then he dies. It took him that long after he recorded the message? I'm not or saying it's perfect, but it makes a little more sense, don't you think? I guess. I mean, how does he know that Dylan is still on board? Right. Oh. Yeah. I mean, he's that message <laughs> yeah. is direct. That's a DM to Dylan. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it is. So, and I'm wondering just exactly what technology is he using to try to get a hold of Dylan? Because apparently he's not using the ship's communications. Because okay. how, can, how can it not be instantaneous? Right, if right. You're sending, but, but he has a device. Well, uh, here, here's kind of the, the, the linchpin of it. Okay. Don't they say in the episode he's he's made this recording, but he never got to send it? Yeah. So that seems to indicate that he died before he could hit the, the send button. Yeah, so it's a very quick turnaround, right? Extremely quick. He's standing up, recording this message, pleading for right. help. Right. Hey, I'm down here. Mm-hmm. Don't leave me. The thing fell on him before he can push send. Right, and he dies. So in his dying moments, with the data port jacked in, that's when he uploads the program. Or Bluetooth. Or Bluetooth. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. That's that's the only kind of time okay. frame that kinda makes sense. And then his AI consciousness is the one that starts to starts fabricate to, this whole yeah. other reality. Yeah. In which Dylan is not a friend, he's a traitor. Okay. Okay. So then why does he wait or why does the his AI why does he his AI wait for this moment to manifest itself. Okay. So I alluded to it in my summary and maybe it wasn't directly in the show. Maybe I kind of projected a little bit. And so I injected that into my summary. Mm -hmm. Maybe that particular program or subset or whatever it is that starts to act on the ship. Maybe it doesn't get activated until the parasites activate it by eating through something and it turns it loose. That's the only thing that made sense in my mind. Yeah. No. Okay. <laughs> is, that, is that a hard pass yeah. on that one? No. Uh-uh. No. <laughs> I, I'm saying good try. Thank you. Yeah. Uh-uh. I think. No. No. I failed. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't fail. Uh, I guess just one last thing about Eddie. Can we just say he's crazy? Yeah. Well, I mean, they even admit in the episode that he's got. He's got issues. Okay. And, and you could see it in the playback. Yeah. I mean, a person like that, and we have perhaps encountered people, maybe not to that degree or not that blatantly crazy, 
but we've kind of encountered those people mm-hmm. that they were they were they were outliers. They were on the fringe of social acceptance, right? And they there's one person that says hi to them in the hallway mm-hmm. at high school or whatever, and they just kind of latch on, right? And that very much seems like Eddie Aldridge, Aldridge's character, okay? Because he was kind of putting off a little bit of a cable guy vibe, wasn't he? Very much so. Yeah. Wow, I'm su- I'm shocked I hadn't made that connection, but that's it. Mm-hmm. It's the cable guy. Yeah. You're right. The cable guy in space. That's it. Okay. And that's how he got that program done. By osmosis. All right, Ethan, are you ready to discuss our quote? Yes, I am. Okay. We have a special guest appearance. Yes, we do. Yeah, a very welcome return from our once beloved character. He has he has disseminated his wisdom at the beginning of this episode, hasn't That's he? Right, he has. Mm-hmm. So here's the quote. To the question of life after death, not whether such a thing exists, but what manner of life? And that was from our friend Rev Bem. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, can we applaud for a moment? Sure. Just I think we could do that. Yeah. Oh, Rev sure. Bem. The return of Rev Bem to the show. Very nice. Good to have him back. And you know what? I am so glad that this is a good quote. Okay. Because we've kind of, the last couple of quotes, we've just kind of barely touched on. Yeah, well, that was a quote. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And I don't think that this is the case here. Okay. I really feel like uh, we've got something actually that's that's worth talking about. Okay. So, um, and of course, whoever did this quote, obviously we know it's not Robert Hewitt Wolf, but whoever wrote this in, spot on. And props to them for for bringing in this character and, and this perspective, because this is a very excellent quote, I think, uh, for this for this particular episode. So we have this situation with Eddie Aldrich, who has been dead for mm, close to three years now, two and a half years. Yeah. Well, and, depending on the time, we don't we don't we don't fuzzy, really know. fuzzy maths. Yeah, you know, uh-huh. we can kind of make it work. Yeah. yeah. But there is life after death for Eddie, and that's kind of the whole point of this episode. Is first, it's a ghost story, and then it's an AI story, and so it, it really speaks to both of, both the 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 spiritual and the physical. And isn't that right? Kind of in between those two, that's kind of right where Rev Bim existed. You know, he had a, he had seemingly a grasp of both sides. And so this quote makes a lot of sense. What kind of life after death would there be? Uh, initially, when you think about the ghost, well, we're kind of quick to dismiss that one. I mean, Harper is <laughs> Harper's reading horror stories, mm-hmm. and he's hearing things, and he's scared. And so when the manifestation comes, it's a ghost, and it's spiritual right, or spiritistic. But very quickly, we, we dispel that. But this whole idea of life after death as an AI is kind of an interesting concept. And I really like where this episode takes us with that. If you can download your consciousness or part of your consciousness in a program or whatever into an Android body and continue to live on, that's a lot of good sci-fi. Yeah. There has been a lot of good sci-fi over the years that have discussed that concept. And we got a little bit of that here. Now, the manner in which we get from A to B is not just a little bit wonky. <laughs> but I mean, this idea of him introducing this program and this program making some bad assumptions and then redeeming itself in the end. 
I kind of like that as a story. And and I think that this quote, what manner of life Mm -hmm. exists or or comes into existence after death. I I think that's an interesting quote. Yeah. And it seems very appropriate for this episode. I think that a quote like this, um, if you don't know who it is, then it may lead you to think, especially of a lot of what you just said. And I think that when you think of it as coming specifically from Rev Bem, to me, I think that means um, a much more of a of a spiritual message. Yeah. Because I think that if you were to ask Rev Bem, is there life after death? I think Rev Bem would probably tell you, yes, and you're... Your spirit or your soul or your katra, whatever, is going to live on. You you couldn't you couldn't go without that last one though. No, no, yeah, that's that's that was my favorite actually. Props so, to you, sir. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, um, it's it's going to live on in something somehow somewhere. You're going to live on. Yeah. Okay. But that's not really what happens in this episode, though. Right. And. Even though they kind of toy with that idea, what it really is is technology. Yes. And that's where the question, what manner of life? And I kind of take that to the next step of saying, okay, maybe there's life. If we have agreed as a society that AI is living, is that life after death, though? Yeah. Is that it is a life after a death, but is it your life after your death? Right. And I'm I'm gonna I'm just gonna inject in here. Yeah. For Eddie's situation, from my perspective, is it part of what Eddie was that's in there? Absolutely it is. Uh because he's touched when Dylan Dylan is actually only able to reach him and get him to do what needs to be done by appealing to his humanity to what was Eddie Aldridge right mm-hmm. he tells him we would have been friends we are friends we does he say we are we are friends because i my my sense was it would have been past tense in that situation that well that's why it was so effective because Eddie speaks of it in the past tense, whereas okay. Dylan speaks yeah. of it is in the present. In the present. Okay. Yeah. Irregardless, it appeals That's not to... not a word. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> Regardless, uh-huh. it appeals... <laughs> you accept that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Regardless, it appeals to what is Eddie Aldrich, or what thinks it is Eddie Aldrich at that point. So there is some humanity in there. There's some... Programming with a likeness of humanity there. Agree to disagree. Well, when in Rome. (laughs) (laughs) Right. There it is. (laughs) There it is. Still, it's a great quote. Okay. And I think it adds a lot to this episode. I'm just glad to have Rev Bim back. I am too. Yeah. Yeah. I am too. All right. So the part that we have been holding back for the last... 40 minutes there have been looks <laughs> there have been pauses yeah there have been don't go there yes don't do it don't We've say had it. that a time or two so i'm going to say ethan go there final thoughts on this episode what's your feeling 
Well, Ryan, let me start with this. I'm going to preface this discussion. You said mm-hmm. in the previous episode that we did, I forget the name of the, the of the episode, but it was episode 51. Oh, the Leper's Kiss. Yes, The Leper's Kiss. <laughs> how could I forget? Mm-hmm. Oh, how could I forget that one? <laughs> Um, you said down toward the end of that discussion when we were talking about our thoughts about that episode. Yeah. Air quotes. Mm-hmm. It can only get better from here. Did I say that? You did say that. Okay. And um, and and you, sir, yeah, are a liar. Oh. Because it doesn't get better. <laughs> um, I'm. <laughs> This is the hardest episode of Andromeda for me to have gotten through since Lava and Rockets. Okay. <laughs> this, this has so many holes in it and so many pieces that do not fit together properly and that do not fit into the context of the timeline that we have kind of established with Andromeda. And, and sitting here and discussing it and analyzing it only makes the situation worse. There are things that you can throw up there, but as you said, it's like putting your finger in the dike, right? Mm-hmm. The little Dutch boy that puts his finger in the dike. He puts his finger in one, he puts his finger in the other. The water just keeps coming. And that is that is a huge problem with this episode. And from the first time I watched it, the second time I watched it, to the third time I watched it, that is the theme that I could not, I couldn't shake it. That There are so many pro- There are so many problems with this episode that it really takes me out of of the environment, of the enjoyment of being able to watch Andromeda. I, I got some things with Harper that were funny. I got some things with um, Harper that were funny. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. And there's not much beyond that that I could really f- appreciate. Uh, this episode for me does not work on a lot of levels. And I, I really, I disliked it a lot. Okay. I will say, in defense of this episode, everything that you just said is absolutely true. That's your defense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, I've got quite a, quite a long list for my notes here for this episode. Wait, of of pros or cons? Just grievances? Just things to talk about. Okay. Okay. Um, and that's... It's Festivus. That's, that's what's interesting. Time for the it's airing the of the airing grievances. The airing of grievances. <laughs> uh, but, but that's the interesting thing, that I have I have just note after note after note after note after note. Um, actually, more notes on this episode than I usually have to bring okay. to a discussion. Okay. The interesting thing is that for this particular episode, every single note is either... Something that was a problem for me, something that was just blatantly bad, or something that was to make fun of. (laughs) Yeah. Now, I'm going to say, usually, when I have a list like that, it usually means that I'm probably not going to be too crazy about the episode. Sometimes... There are some redeeming qualities. This was not one of those episodes. Um, last week, I I was pretty hard on a leper's kiss from the last episode. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But I also said that I thought it was mildly entertaining. Yes. Even though there were tons of things that were bad, mm-hmm. it was mildly entertaining. This one was just full of holes. None of it made sense. None of it came together. And it really just was not even that entertaining. I yeah. still... Well, it, it, if, if I may. Uh, you did. The whole time. <laughs> the whole time I'm watching this, I'm feeling... I Before even looking it up, I was sitting here thinking, this had to have aired around the end of October of 2002. And I was shocked yeah. that it was November 18th. Because I thought they were making a Halloween episode. And like all Halloween episodes in sci-fi, they don't work. Mm-hmm. Cat's paw. Yeah. Let's just go to the source. Yeah. It doesn't work. And I feel like they tried to do that here. And I'm sorry. Naomi Jensen. I, I don't know her. I don't know her work. I haven't gotten to season four or season five to be able to assess whether this is a problem that's going to continue on. But I tell you what. When we get to the, her next episode in season four, I'm going to be thinking about <laughs> For Whom the Bell Tolls, mm-hmm. and that's going to very much color my opinion of whatever that episode is. And that's unfortunate, because this episode is so bad. Yeah. Um, there, were, there were plot elements that just didn't make sense. Specifically, no. the two different plot lines. Okay, you have the A which is the A plot and which is the B plot? Because does the B plot actually come first? Well, I, I think I kind of tipped my hat in the summary. Yeah. Why would you introduce another plot point Yeah. when the first one is seemingly going somewhere and now we're going to take it a t- completely different direction? Right. And I keep waiting for the two plot lines to 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 merge and for them to... And they do. And... They do. Sort of. At the very, the very In the very 11th end. hour. Yeah. I mean, it was like 11.59. <laughs> but, but still, they don't, they don't really have anything to do with each other. Like, I keep waiting for, you touched on it. And this was like what I kept waiting to see was, is there somewhere in there that I'm missing where because of this invasion of these maggots, it sets off something in the system that causes this AI to come to life and to start to manifest itself in in whatever it is. Right. And, and we're meant to infer that that's what happened. Are we? I kind of feel like it. I never got that at all. But there's no direct connection. I never got that. And I kept, okay. I kept waiting for that to happen. Okay. I'm a, I was looking for it. I mean, and I never saw it because what, if it is, then they need to hit us on the head a little bit harder. Because well, what 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 I saw okay. in the production was Harper kept looking at the place where there are the holes in the bulkhead and the light coming through, and obviously something is eaten through there. Yeah, so you assume it's the maggots, but then there's this big hole, and they don't make big holes like this. Yeah, I mean, this is like bigger than the hole that. Jerry goes through in the Tom and, Tom and Jerry cartoons, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, and so, yeah, it, it, I'm drawing the connection, but you, I can see where you would you not. You can't just still stick some steel wool in that one. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Right. And so, yeah, it maybe we are supposed to infer, but they didn't draw a close enough point between the two plot points. All right. Well, I'm, I still land on the side that I don't think we're supposed to infer that. I think that's just the gap that we're trying to fill in our own minds. Okay. Because nowhere in that episode do they ever even hint, in my mind, that that's what's going on. I I tend to agree with you. 
I I really think that had they further developed the maggot storyline, not had the ghost story at all, they could have possibly saved this. Yeah. I'm not crazy about the maggot story anyway. Well, we obviously know you didn't like the production value of the maggots themselves. No. No, I didn't. It reminded me a little bit of uh, Operation Annihilate, this, <laughs> the season one yeah. finale yeah. of Star Trek. Yep. Um, the original series. The yeah. They were just these. But the thing is, you can give that a pass because that's 1967. Right. This is 2002. Come yeah. on, people. Yeah. <laughs> it it looked like the same production value, and I mean yeah. you could tell they were they were kind of trying a little bit because sometimes it was just this weird little yeah. plastic thing that they were well, wiggling around. And, and, and two props to him. There is that moment where they it falls out of Harper's shoe when he's going up the ladder, and it hits the floor and splats, and the little babies pop out. That had to have been CG. Yeah, that's what I was getting ready to say. And it, and it was okay. Some of it was clearly CG. And if it's clearly CG, then it's probably not good CG. Right. But yeah. but I think back to... There was an episode of... You may have seen it, because this is a discussion for another time. There is like a season one or two Voyager episode in which there are these parasites that are floating through the ship. These little gas bag thingies. And I remember in 1995, 96, whenever this was... It seemed like there was better CG for that. Of course, this is Star Trek, so I'm sure they had more money. But you can't tell me that seven years later, they can't come up with a better-looking CG model parasite. Yeah. It doesn't have to have a whole lot of features. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, it just it fails. Yeah. It fails on so many levels, from production to plot to elsewhere. Um, I also didn't... I couldn't put together what Rami's deal was because <laughs> yeah because the hologram right right Rami cannot see the hologram apparently because of her firewall yes then in that last scene on the command deck when the android it's version physically is present yeah and she's just like staring she can't see it she can't see it we see from her vantage point she just sees Dylan standing there right yeah and I'm wondering. Why is she not reacting at all when he is lifting Dylan up in the air? <laughs> he is off of his well, feet. Well, okay, okay. By that point, in she, the air. she's passed out by that point. No. No. This is... Yeah. By, by the time he lifts lifts him up, uh, Rami is already shut down. And the, the self-destruct sequence is already in play. That That's the case. But the, the, the hologram part still doesn't make any sense to me. Because he's still having to access... The holographic technology in the ship. Rami should at least be able to, to detect that. I'm sorry. I'm stuck on the last point because I feel like you're wrong. Okay. I Maybe I am. I think that because she's standing there watching. We see from her vantage point because it kind of has that different grainy look to it so we can see it. We're looking through someone yeah, else's that's, eyes. Yeah, that's Harper and Trance in the room is what you're thinking of. Do we need to stop and, and take a look at it? I think we have to. I feel to. like we we have to at this yeah. point. We're at loggerheads. All right, we're going to pause for a second. So, after we, further review, yeah. we we did <laughs> we did stop and we did check the tape. And um well, I mean I, I, I was I, wrong. I was wrong. I I had misremembered the sequence of events. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's okay because um now that we have seen how it actually 
transpires, what are your thoughts on it now? It still doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Because Rami is not seeing the android standing there. Right. This is not a hologram. Right. This is an android. Yeah. There is Uh something physically present. And uh, on the one hand, I want to say, okay, maybe he is able to somehow perhaps um, be physically present there, but somehow maintain the firewall so that it, it masks his presence or is able to delete himself from her. It doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. It really doesn't. And then it somehow changes after the point where Dylan's force lance hits him in the midsection and exposes the circuitry. And he, he sounds different. He sounds like he's losing grip Mm -hmm. on whatever control he has. Um, so maybe that is the point where she is able to see him from that point forward, but he doesn't, it still doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. Right. And ultimately I think, and and the point is it doesn't make sense. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And I was going to say, ultimately I think that's where we're at on this is just that no matter what way we come at this, it just doesn't make sense. Um, No, I mean, take your case, right? You remembered the the series of events incorrectly. Incorrectly, yeah. Okay. So you can understand why maybe this didn't make sense to you. Okay. So then we clarify what actually happened. Guess what, boys and girls? It still doesn't make sense. Zero-sum game. Yeah. (laughs) So it doesn't matter which version of this you were watching, my version or Ethan's version. It doesn't add up. You're right. Yeah. No, you're right. So... Anyway, um, man, if there's nothing else on this episode... This is a bad episode. Yeah. Just a bad episode. I wish I had two more hands so I could give this episode four thumbs down. I feel you. Yeah. I feel I will be your extra hands. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And just make this... Yep. Make the gesture right now. We just did it. Yeah. All right. But hey, maybe somebody out there feels differently. I Pro- cha- probably not. I challenge them. Yeah. If they do, we definitely want to hear from them. Yeah. Okay. Um, if someone wanted to get a hold of us, Ethan, for any reason at all, how might they do such a thing? Drive back the night podcast at gmail.com is where you can reach us. We're also on Facebook and Twitter at Andromeda Pod at both of those social media sites. We're on Podbean. That's our home, www.andromedaseries.podbean.com. That's where you can find every episode of Drive Back the Night that we have done to this point. And if you listen to us on iTunes, give us some stars. Maybe even a review if you've got time. We'd certainly appreciate that. Yeah, we like it when you give us stars. And if you're in the mood to give us things, we're not asking, but there is a tip jar on the Podbean page. Good thanks to our big friend Doug Anderson for giving us his voice again for this episode. We are an Age of Geek production. Hey, we're doing a lot of good things on Age of Geek Productions. You know if what? If you've noticed that. I have noticed that, actually. Yeah. And a lot of good stuff to come, from what I hear. It's, it's kind of becoming the Age of Geek network of podcasts, yeah. in a way. So, yeah. you know, check that out if did, you have Did it. you want to plug the new podcast? Um, not on this one. Oh, A little tidbit out there. Sure. And we invite you to join us back here again next time as we look at the next episode. And your heart will fly away.
It wasn't bad. No, <laughs> no, no. We're done. Okay. <laughs> Own, go away. Okay. I'll cut that. <laughs> you don't have to. Um, <clears throat> do like they do on SYSK. Say, we're going to cut all of this. <laughs> Obviously not. <laughs> uh, okay. <clears throat>